Did y'all notice a little less traffic on the highway today? No? You know it's a national holiday, don't you? Yeah, it's uh, National Atheist Day. April Fool's Day. <laughs> I keep this in my office. That's what it says. National Atheist Day, April 1st. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Somebody gave that to me. I don't know where they got it. Uh, you could probably go online and just put that on there. It's a bumper sticker. <clears throat> See, I had to do that before I said what the day was. <laughs> Today is April the 1st. 2010. Wow. Really flying by, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, uh, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of, of uh, silent prayer and rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you give us everything we need in order to manage our lives. We need to set our priorities straight, putting you first and your word. And then everything seems to follow suit as long as we keep our spiritual momentum moving forward, thinking divine viewpoint, utilizing the spiritual assets that you have given us. So we thank you for this time we have tonight to fellowship in your word. Pray that you'll help us to concentrate. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Starting with chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. We went to Acts chapter 16 last time to see just what some of those oppositions were and what uh, the suffering was that they had undergone. And if you will remember that they were taken before the magistrates because they had done an awful deed. They ridded a slave girl of a demon that was possessing her because her master's could not make the money off of her that they did. They took him and his, and, uh, his associates before the magistrates 
played the race card, said they're not really one of us, they're upsetting the world. And so they took them and beat them with rods. I've never been beat with a rod before like that. Do you all remember, I don't know, it was a number of years ago where there was a, an American that was over in Singapore and he had littered. And there was a big to-do whether they were going to cane him or not. And so I would imagine that this being beat with rods is similar to that being caned. Not a pleasant experience. And I imagine that the pain didn't go away overnight. It probably lasted quite a while. And so when these missionaries left Philippi, and of course you remember uh, they left under somewhat unusual conditions, Magistrates were begging them to leave because Paul could have made it uh, really uncomfortable for them. So they go to um, Thessalonica, and what's the first thing they did? They did the exact thing, same thing that they were doing in Philippi that they got beat with rods for. And for all they know, the same thing was going to happen to them there. I'll just try to picture that for just a moment because I've been beat up before, not in like in a, in a fight, but when I used to play football, um, the day of the game and even during the game, uh, you might get beat up, but you don't feel it. The adrenaline is pumping and you're all excited and you're, you're, you're just, you just get hit and you might notice a little... Oh, I got hit on the calf, and Mike just noticed a little, little uh, pain there. No big deal. Then you try to get out of the bed the next morning. That's when it hits. I mean, those little nicks and little abrasions and little uh, bit of pain that you felt the night before, while you were still all limbered up and everything was still flowing, uh, then it becomes major. I mean, you look like a, a 99-year-old man trying to get out of bed. But that wouldn't even come close to what these guys felt. I mean, no doubt they were bruised, severely bruised, and had probably welts. No doubt there was blood involved. And, some, you know, some people died from that scourging. I don't know if it's the same kind of a scourge that Christ had. Probably not because they used the cat of nine tails on him. This, they, they were beat with rods, but still... And when they, when they went into the next city and started doing the same thing, knowing that it was possible for them to get severely beaten again, there's something more than just uh, stubbornness there. There's something more than just a person's will to do it. They had a drive and a force inside of them that was greater than their pain. And that's what I think we need to focus on because that's what is being presented to us. For you yourselves know. You know that that phrase, you yourself know, is used seven times in this book? Five, about five times it's, it's used as, uh, as you know. A couple of times it's used as uh, you know this, that type of thing. But the same thought is used seven different times. So he's reminding them of these things. And why do you suppose he reminded them 
of things he had already taught. And he's going to go into a dissertation, which is essentially, essentially is um, rebutting something. He's going to tell them that what he gave them was the truth. It wasn't an error. It wasn't for his own benefit. It wasn't deception of any kind. He says, as you know. He's saying this because there had to be others who were alleging that he was doing it from the wrong motives. That he was trying to lord it over them. That he was trying to benefit monetarily from it. uh, That he was teaching them just out and out lies. And so he is reinforcing this. Telling them what they already know. My point in telling you this is that many times you'll hear things taught that you already know. But you don't want to tune out because it reinforces it. You hear it and it reinvigorates that part of the memory center in your brain. So even though we hear things over and over, it's not for naught. It's for the purpose that it's going to um, make us better servants of the Most High and help us to remember what we need to remember. So, uh, after they had suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. So that's where I want to start here with that phrase. I think I had it on the board a minute ago. How's that looking up there? Let me see if I can put this on the full deal here. There. Okay. That that takes it all in, doesn't it? Okay. So we have we had boldness. Now, boldness is the main verb here. It's parisiazomai. P-A-R-R-E-S-I-A-Z-O-M-A-I. Parisiazomai. That's kind of a hard one to say. It's the aorist middle indicative. The middle voice means that the subject participated in the action and is here is benefited by the action. They were benefited by showing boldness. And it means to have courage and confidence, to be daring, to not be afraid to speak openly and boldly. Now, this word, as you see here on the under this lesson number here, it, this, this word is used nine times in the New Testament. Every time it's a reference to speaking boldly. It's not just being bold and having courage, but it's talking about having courage with regards to speaking out. God gives us the courage we need to speak boldly about Him and His Word when we can't find the courage within ourselves. You know what I think is one of the main hindrances of people or why people don't speak out boldly about their Lord? I could say arrogance, but it's a particular type. I don't think it's necessarily that they're afraid to do so. In this country, there's no... um, out-and-out, overt suffering or punitive action for someone that, that expresses their faith. Now, But this is somewhat rare. The rest of the world, that's a big issue. You go to China, you go to Saudi Arabia, some of those countries, 
You know, no Jews are even allowed in Saudi Arabia. You can get arrested for carrying a Bible in Saudi Arabia. If there's a Muslim over there that converts to Christianity, he could be executed. So this would, this would resonate more in those type of, of places. But still, even here, it does take a measure of boldness. I think what we have to overcome more than being afraid of actually being punished is we're afraid that we might be embarrassed. We're afraid that we might not know all the answers. We're afraid that when we talk about Jesus Christ, someone may be put off. And so it takes a certain kind of boldness there, but not the same type it does the rest of the world. So people are, for the most part, they are experts at avoiding rejection. What's the easiest way not to be rejected when it comes to speaking out about Jesus Christ? Keep your mouth shut, right? And I think that's, that applies more to us, is that uh, we're going to see in a few moments, well, you already see it up here on the board, to speak to you the gospel, to speak. That's what we need to do. A lot of times we speak when we're not supposed to, and when we are supposed to, we don't speak. So we have opportunities. If you're looking for them, they're there. I heard Carrie on the phone yesterday. She, she didn't know I was going to say this, but um, she was ordering something. And the next thing I know, she was talking about Jesus Christ to this woman. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, well, that's good. And, and, and it just went on right on from there. And I don't know what the lady was saying on the other line, but I do know one thing. She was looking for an opportunity. And it, and it presented itself, and there she goes. So those are the kinds of things that we have to overcome, our shyness, our fear of rejection, whatever it may be, thinking that people won't like you or think you're a weirdo. Now, you can talk about God all you want, and that doesn't put people off, but you start mentioning the name of Jesus Christ, and people don't like it. They don't mind using His name in a slur, you know, when something happens and they're angry or they're surprised, and they say Jesus and it's an irreverent manner, that's okay to use it that way. But to talk about the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of this universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, people start vibrating. And that's because He is the true God and they are in darkness. There's always going to be rejection and resistance to truth, but we must not allow our uh, allow it to stifle our declaration of truth in any way. Do you all all know what stifle means? Did you ever watch All in the Family? Archie Bunker? Huh? <laughs> stifle yourself. Stifle yourself. Put a lid on it. You know, don't be so audacious. Just cut it back a notch. All these things apply. And it's easy for us to do that because we want people to like us. And you can read body language. And when you start talking about the Bible or Jesus Christ, people start getting all closed up and, and uh, crossing their arms like this. And they start uh, looking for the nearest exit. And they're just very uncomfortable. You can tell it in their, in their body language. And 
for us, we think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to put them off. I better back off a bit. And I'm just, I'm thinking the other way. That's when you need to turn it up a notch. I've had people who questioned me before thinking I was going to back down and I just turn it up a notch. That's what we... That's, that means that you're not going to stifle it. You're not going to cut back on it anyway. The problem many times is that people fail to boldly declare the truth to others because they're not sure if they have the truth or not. You know, you can't be dogmatic. Well, you can, but you're going to get caught if you do this. You can be all dogmatic about something that you don't know about, but usually it's not long before you're caught and it comes out that you really don't know what you're talking about. So in some cases, it's not that people are so frightened that they're going to put someone off. It's that they're not really sure about it to begin with. And you can do something about that. Hopefully, that's one reason you're here now, is so that you will be able to obey the command to stand firm for the faith. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard someone say, it's not polite to talk about politics or religion in public. Have you ever heard that? What amazes me is nobody asks why. I've never heard, no one's ever told me that. But I'm waiting for the chance because if they do, I'm just going to say, well, why not? When it comes to especially what they would call religion, there's nothing higher or more that you could aspire to talk about than something higher than us, which is God. Let's just talk about God. Come, let us reason together. But people are put off by that, and I think one reason is because they're afraid they can't go very far and they're going to be caught. Now, isn't it interesting, right after we have that we are... uh, He's saying, as you know, we had the boldness in our God. And then it says, we were just looking at a moment ago, to speak to you the gospel. And here we have laleo, L-A-L-E-O. It's an infinitive. An infinitive, when you see the word to in English, T-O, before a verb like that, it's going to be an infinitive. It's the aorist active. It has tense and voice, but no mood. Because mood has to do with reality, and this isn't pertinent to reality, so you don't have a mood there. It means to speak out in contrast to keeping silent. That's the whole thing. The boldness had to do in every case. I looked up all, all expressions that that's used, and every one of them had to do with the word uh, com- communicating or speaking. And so that is the idea, and that means to not keep silent, but to speak. Some people may have had an a bad experience in giving the truth to someone, and they use it as an excuse not to speak out anymore. What a shame. I know someone one time that told me that they knew a person who had a bad experience at Sunday school. Went to church every Sunday, but this this Sunday, this person was asked to read something or say something, and some of the guys in his Sunday school class laughed at him. And that was it. For the next 40 years, he never darkened the door of a church again. Isn't that a shame? Uh, some people have gone out and tried to witness the people before, 
and they were rejected and they took it personally or they were asked a question and they thought that they looked like a fool. You don't have to know all the answers to talk to people about Bible doctrine. Did you know that? Now, you need to know a few basics or you won't get very far. But you don't have to know all the answers. And if they ask you something or they bring up something that you don't know how to answer, it's not a, it's not an absolute catastrophe if you say, I don't know the answer to that. You're not expected to know all the answers. But you can say, that's a good question, and you're not going to leave it there. You're going to find out. I'm going to find out the answer to that one. I had someone, I think it was last week, asked me a question about a verse. And I thought, hmm, you know, I know about that verse. I know where it is. I know what it's about. But the question that was asked, I really couldn't answer it. And you know what I did? I went home that very night and got into it and studied it, and I was able to send an answer to these people or to this person. Because... I, it bothers me if I don't know that. If someone asks me a question that has to do with doctrine, has to do with the Bible, if I don't know the answer, do you think I'm just going to forget about that? I know. Well, I'm a pastor. I don't care. It should be the same with you also. You never know if that's going to, if you're going to be asked that question again. You want to be up to speed. So if you don't know, it's not a, it's not a disaster. Just say, I don't know, but I'm glad you brought it up because... I'm going to research this out. I'm going to sift it to the bottom. And next time we meet, then I'm going to have an answer for it. The gospel means good news, but it doesn't always refer to the good news concerning eternal salvation. It can sometimes refer to different doctrines. Because when you, when you really think about it, truth is music to the ears to a humble person. It's good news. I mean, we live in a society that is mumbo-jumbo. And there is a, it's just a mishmash of a bunch of convoluted, weirdo ideas. And people will try to make you feel like we are a Christian and it's just one more weirdo idea thrown into the mix. But you know what Christians have that no one else has? I mean, there's a lot of things that Christians have that others don't have. But other people don't have the support of God's Word. We have the ultimate in writing. What a shame we don't use it more. Now, the next phrase here is amid much opposition. And the Greek word for opposition is agony. How about that? A-G-O-N-I. It's a noun, dative, singular, masculine. It means strife, contention, Contests for victory are masteries such as was used in Greek games of running, boxing, wrestling, and so forth. In other words, when these guys were working out for the Olympics, is what we can relate it to, there was agony involved. They would discipline their bodies and they would push them to the limit. And when we think of agony, we, we kind of put it a notch above just saying it hurts, don't we? If someone says, says, well, I've been sick for a while. I've had this sore throat. Boy, it's really been painful. Okay, we understand that. But if somebody says, I'm in agony, 
well, that's serious, isn't it? And so they had not just agony, but much agony, much opposition. Paul applies the word to the evangelical contest against the enemies of man and salvation. And then we have some verses there. 1 Timothy 6.12, 2 Timothy 4.7. Confer with 1 Corinthians 9.20. You don't have it up there, do you? Okay. There you go. 1 Timothy 6.12, 2 Timothy 4.7. This is in the middle of the paragraph. Confer with 1 Corinthians 9.24. It also, uh, by the way, what I'm reading here, I lifted off of Spirios Zodiades, the complete word study of the New Testament for this word, agony. A race, a place to run, Hebrews 12.1, a struggle, a contest, contention. And the New Testament is presented as the life task of a Christian. And when you think of agony, you're thinking about pain and so forth. And this says it's the life task of the Christian. Don't say it out loud, but what doctrine pops into your mind? Second Peter has a lot to say about it. Undeserved suffering. So we're going to suffer in this life. There's going to be agony. But let's just, let's just make the right decisions to where when we do suffer, it's undeserved and for our blessing rather than deserved for our discipline. Believers are in a contest, a struggle, or a fight. Paul certainly understood that. Life is a fight. At the end of his life, he said, and this is from 1 Timothy 6.12, I have fought the good fight. Oh, excuse me, that's in 2 Timothy 4.7. And then the same root word is used in 1 Timothy 6.12 where he commanded Timothy, fight the good fight. And that's a present active imperative. Now, if Paul was commanding Timothy to fight the good fight, don't you suppose that he would say the same thing to us? Fight the good fight? I think sometimes we're too sophisticated. Um, we're way too clean. Uh, we don't want to get dirty. We want everything to be nicey-nice. We don't want to get down into the mire and the uh, dirtiness of actually contending for the faith. And sometimes it's not just a neat little package. It's package. To where in life they say, you're okay, I'm okay, everybody's okay, it's lovely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not contending for the faith. Contending for the faith is saying, I understand what you're saying, but thus says the Lord. And whether they like it or not. And so we're in a fight. You all know about the angelic conflict, right? You all know that that goes on, but it goes individually every day that someone stands for the, for the truth. There's going to be contention. There's going to be strife. And we have to fight for what is true. We don't want to roll over and play dead and say, Oh, I don't want to get, in, I don't want to get into that. i got enough of that at home. I don't want to get it in the office. I don't want to get it in when I, I go to work or anything else. And I'm not talking about raising your blood pressure and arguing with someone. I'm simply saying we need to contend for what is true and what is right, especially when it comes to the gospel. We are surrounded by lies, deception, traps, and evil. We either give in to it 
or we fight it. And our weapon is the Word of God. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, it says, put on the full armor of God. The Word is the only offensive weapon. The sword. And our guide is the Holy Spirit according to John chapter 16, verse 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. So you have to... What are some things you have to do to be ready to fight for truth? First of all, you have to be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Second of all, you have to know something, right? You, gotta, you have to uh, know some doctrine. First of all, I mean, next you have to be looking for opportunities. You don't always. Sometimes they come knocking on your door when you least expect it. Hello, we're from the Kingdom Hall. Well, wait a minute. I wasn't expect, I'm not ready for you today. I wasn't expecting this. Give me a few uh, more days to bone up on uh, soteriology and then come back. That'd be nice if that's the way it happens, but it doesn't. But the Holy Spirit is our guide, and if we have the truth in our soul, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have doctrine circulating in our stream of consciousness, then we have nothing to fear. Next, next sentence. The next sentence is actually two verses. You can read them up on the board or in your Bible. For our, ex- for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Hear that again? Huh? So we speak, not as pleasing to men, but God who examines our hearts. So we have the first word here, or the first phrase, which is from our exhortation. And the word exhortation in the Greek is paraklesis, P-A-R-K-L-E-S-I-S. It's a noun, noun to singular feminine. It comes from the verb parakaleo. Do you all remember what parakaleo is? Oh, I used it so many times. Para means beside and kaleo means to call. It means to call someone to your side. If, if you're going to encourage someone, you see someone who is really down, they're really out, then what you do uh, often, you might see this, is come here. You call somebody over to your side, you put your arm around them, and then you start to encourage them. You start to give them information that's going to benefit them. And that's where we get parakaleo, the verb, which is where we get paraklesis, which is exhortation. So it means exhortation, encouragement, or comfort. Exhortation is used here as a synonym for the gospel. In other words, for our exhortation. When you give someone the gospel, it's for their exhortation. It is for their benefit. It is for their comfort. And you'll see in context that it is a synonym for the gospel. They were exhorting them through the gospel. So he says, for our exhortation does not come from. Now, the reason I cut that off there is because there's no verb there in the Greek. It just says, for our exhortation, not from error. That's what the Greek says. But to make that make sense in English, we have to add some verbs in there does not come from. Now, the reason that there's no verbs there, it was removed in order to emphasize the negative. In other words, when you really want to emphasize the negative, do away with the verb, and you're really emphasizing that 
not from something. It's, there are, he's, he, what Paul is going to say is when we gave you the gospel, when we exhorted you, it wasn't from these things. And he's going to list three things that it was not from. And because that verb is missing, he's really strong. He's really nailing this down that it was not from these things. The first thing it was not from was error. Here you have plane, P-L-A-N-E. That's a noun. Genitive singular feminine. It means delusion, error, false judgment. It's absolutely imperative that we give the gospel correctly. The common grace of the Holy Spirit is activated only when someone hears the gospel accurately. Do you hear that? That's why it's important to give it right. It's simple. It's not hard to give. In fact, I think I have a note here. It must be given in the understanding that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. Period. But you have to give it that grace perspective. I have to tell you, I was on the way here, on the way to class tonight. Two things happened that of note. One of them, I was on 389 coming towards Brenham. I looked over at this guy in his yard. He had these beautiful blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes in his yard. And he was on his lawnmower mowing them down. And I, it just made me ill. You don't see that every day. I don't know what was the matter with him. Uh, anyhow, that made an impression on me. I didn't get two miles from there. And then on the radio, I listened to KCB, and they were talking, how, <coughs> talking about how uh, people need to come to Christ. And what, what you need to do in order to go to heaven is ask Jesus Christ into your heart. And I get so tired of hearing that. Because we don't do any inviting. In fact, that's pretty, pretty audacious is to think that we have something, that we're going to invite Jesus Christ, the maker of the universe, into something that he would be interested in to begin with. We are fallen, depraved, helpless sinners. Our only help is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't invite him for anything or to anything. He invites us because He has something to offer. What do we have to offer Him? They said, invite Christ into your life. What for? Why would Christ want to come into my life? Because I'm a depraved sinner. It's the idea that, yeah, He's going to co-op with you and He's really going to make your life a lot better. Well, so what? That's not salvation. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is that you are a horrible, decrepit, decadent soul that is on, the, on your way to hell. And your only hope is that Jesus Christ took your punishment for you. And it's believing in Jesus Christ. It's accepting that atonement instead of trying to conjure up your own righteousness. That's what salvation is. It doesn't have anything to do with inviting Christ into your heart. And yet everybody uses it. Someone was telling me, we were just talking about this the other day. I was talking to somebody and he said, uh, someone, that subject came up somehow and somebody was advocating, yeah, you've got to ask Christ in your heart. And they said, uh, where is that in the Bible? Show me one place where it says invite Christ for anything. It's not there. And I think that's an indictment on Christians today because they will pick up a trendy phrase, something that sounds uh, chic, 
something that sounds good and ignore the Scriptures. It's like people are afraid. They're embarrassed to say salvation is through faith in Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's our mantra. I still have a few shirts that we used to have years ago. We used to have T-shirts. When we had the logo here, I mean the whole church, royal blue. And on the back, in great big letters, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right across the back. And I would walk into H-E-B with that on. And I'd be looking, but the only thing was on, my, on the back, so I couldn't, they were probably, you know, doing this in my, at my back, I couldn't see them. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul didn't beat around the bush, as you'll see. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who calls you uh, by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. There's only one gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's what I just said I heard on the radio today, and that was from a Christian radio station. Some of the most blasphemous things you'll ever hear are from Christian radio stations, Christian magazines, Christian bookstores, radio, Internet, the whole bunch. They don't have any doctrine. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which have, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You know, anathema. I've gone over that before. And then just in case you didn't get it, look at verse 9. As we have said before, he's not bashful to say it again. I say to you now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which we have uh, preached to him, let him be accursed, anathema. For I'm not seeking favor of men or of God, says, I still, if I were uh, still trying, but it should be, if I kept on trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which we preach by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you can essentially say the same thing. Now, Paul was taught by Christ Himself. But we receive the gospel from the revelation of Jesus Christ because it's in His Word. That's how we get it. We don't make it up. It's not something we pull out of thin air. And we can back it up. People hate grace. They hate grace because uh, they want the credit. And one thing about it, you can keep the credit if you want to. And you think you're going to get to heaven by your own works and keep the credit. You're in for a rude awakening. It's not by us. 
So that gives you an idea about how important it is to give the gospel correctly. I think everybody in this room wouldn't have a problem giving it correctly. If you do, it means you've been asleep for the last hundred or so times that you sat in here. And you weren't because I would have noticed. So that's the first thing. It was not of error. The second thing are impurity. Our impurity is a-katharisa, A-K-A-T-H-A-R-I-S-A. It's a noun, genitive, singular, feminine. It means unclean, impure, or immoral. Have you ever heard of a catharsis, a cleaning, a purifying? That's where we get it. It's from this root word. It will, we, katharizo is to purify. This is katharisa. The A in front of it means it nullifies it. It means not pure. It means impure, immoral, unclean. This refers to being in a state of carnality. Don't witness to others unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's not you that's doing any good anyway. All you're doing is giving them the correct data, the correct information. It's the Holy Spirit that makes it clear to them and convicts them. If you're in a state of carnality... Um, you're not, you're not going to do this. The, the job is good. Now, the second, the third thing, are by way of deceit. And for deceit, we have dolos, D-O-L-O-S, noun, dative, singular, masculine. It means deceit, fraud, to bait. means to be a huckster. Do you know what a huckster is? Here's the not out of the One who used a grape used for a tavern keeper. They up their wine until the customer became a little fun. For the, the, it's deception. It's deceitful. Second Corinthians chapter two verse seven. But we got this to us here. And what we had up here, up here, payload. a huckster. I'm on hand. And uh, what was that guy up in Dallas? Um, he used to lay up your blood in, into him. Uh, what was? Nobody remembers his name. Robert Tilton. Yeah, Robert Tilton. Oh, Clint. And they fled out suffering from those. So this is college. I'm going to see every thousand dollars a night. You know, of course, he has the work. Being in front of the TV, they're not telling the truth. Their whole motivation is profit. You know the type. Uh, what's the guy that uh, has the university? He just or Roberts, yeah, or Roberts. Uh, they, they all have these um, different gimmicks, uh, different things that they have to get money from people. Oral Robert didn't wasn't it Oral Roberts that said if I don't get a million dollars within so long a time he was going to die. Wasn't that Oral Roberts? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he knows he knows better now. But he he didn't die because he didn't get his million in. Do I ever get anything in the mail? I got one time a prayer cloth. Paper one. <laughs> I mean, it really it would be humorous if it wasn't so blasphemous. But they must think people are absolute fools, and yet they get rich. I mean, when you can when you can get a have in your yard a tree and there's a knot on the tree and you say, it looks like Jesus. And here comes a million people in there from all over the world to worship a knot on your tree. That kind of gives you an idea how the depth of people's thinking. 
And I'll move on. I'm about to get cranked up and I need to move on. The gospel must never be watered down. Adding anything to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is watering it down. You don't have to embellish it. It's faith, and that's it. Zero over and out. And that is the biggest contest, I think, in the human race is faith alone versus faith plus works. And that's what separates Christianity from all the other religions. Every other religion, I don't care, you name it, I don't care what it is, it has that one thing in common. You've got to do something in order to be approved unto God. You've got to be a good person, you've got to do some ritual, uh, something that you ha- that's required of you in order to be accepted before God. And Christianity says, no, you can't do anything other than believe. That's how you accept the free gift, because it's non-meritorious. And you know that because of what? Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Did you really think we were going to get through this without going to that tonight? Huh? Oh, y'all's wheels are turning. Are y'all ready? Okay, let's go. Now, I'm not going to... Usually I lead it. But I'm going to kind of back off and kind of see if y'all can get started, okay? All right. But... Not. <laughs> but to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His what? His faith is reckoned as what? Righteousness. In another two years, we'll have it. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Isn't it great to have a verse like that? People say, oh, well, you've got to do more than faith. Or faith is a work. You know, you can't. uh Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. We don't get into that. Okay. Okay. just, we'll just touch on verse 4 because it's about time to go. But just as we have been approved by God, and the word have been approved is dokimazo, D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. It's a perfect passive indicative. And what does that tell you? Uh-oh, perfect passive. Woo-hoo. Better slow down. This is something. God gave us something that was completed in the past. We receive it. And the results go on and on. It means to be tested, approved, to try to prove, discern, distinguish, or approve. It has the notion of proving a thing whether it is worthy or not. God had tested Paul's method and his motivation in giving the gospel and had given his approval. It's not man's approval, but God's approval that is important. Paul wasn't interested in the approval of man. And nor should we be. Now, here's something. Here's a question for you. Don't say it. Just think it. What other verse has the phrase approved by God in it that you should know? Hmm? Right. All right. Y'all are doing good. 
2 Timothy 2.15. How many can say that one? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A what? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Did you hear that in there? Study to what? Show thyself approved. Does that mean you better study before you're going to be approved to God in order to go to heaven? <laughs> I'm glad that we can laugh at that. Isn't that something? I mean, there's a lot of people that like to go there, large ship salvation plan. But yeah, we need to be approved by God, and we do it by learning His Word. These guys were approved by God. God knew their motive. All these things that they were accusing Paul of, God is saying He's already been approved by God. He doesn't need approval of these false teachers or all these critics that were had an axe to grind. And we're approved by God whenever we fulfill His plan to grow up in grace. I think I'm going to stop right there. It can't get better than that right now. I mean, y'all are doing really good. Uh, knew the answer to that one. If y'all could just learn Romans 4 or 5, we'd really be cooking. But we will in due time. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to feed upon Your Word. We're so thankful that everything depends on who and what You are. And You have given us the perspective that even if we suffer, it is for our blessing if it is undeserved. You give us the ability to rise above our circumstances. And if we suffer, we can count it all joy when it's suffering for You. Help us to keep that divine viewpoint and to be ready to fight for Your Word, stand strong and true to Your Gospel. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.